Welcome to House of Herders podcast, discussing all things dog, from training to life experience. Your hosts today are Alana and Gemma. Let's get started. Welcome to our podcast today. So sadly, Gemma cannot make it. She has other engagements and hasn't managed to make it back in time. So we are just going to go ahead without her. So I'm very sorry, Gemma. I wish you lots, but I'm sure you enjoy this episode because you won't have heard it. (laughs) So today I'm going to be talking to Amy. Amy is one half of Canine Potential, which is a training company based in Ayrshire in Scotland. So I'm going to hand it over to Amy to give us a little bit of an introduction about our company and about herself, and then we're going to get started. Hi, I'm Amy. Uh, Yeah, I'm one half of Canine Potential. I run the business with my business partner, Lindsay. Um, We have been running classes and providing one-to-one services for clients in and around Ayrshire um, for the last year and few months. Um, So fairly new uh, little business that we've got. So yeah, we provide the lots of different classes from puppies right up to any older dog. And we also provide uh, specialist classes as well, like reactive rock stars, loose lead walking, recall classes, um, and things like that. So yeah, I'm really excited to be here today to speak to you, Lana. We, we are very happy to have you here today, Amy. It's going to be super exciting to hear your views on things and how they slightly differ from Gemma and I. So what kind of dogs do you have yourself, Amy? Because obviously Gemma and I have collies. So what do you have? I have two Jack Russell Terriers. So Oh, <laughs> definitely not collies. <laughs> um, but you wish that they were. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of similar, to be fair. <laughs> they have some similarities. Um, they really do. <laughs> yeah. So I've got I've got Ronnie and Reggie, the Jack Russell Terriers, um, and they are brothers. If you didn't get that by their names, uh, <laughs> they are five years old, and they're the reason that I am the dog trainer I am today. <laughs> That's very nice to hear. And I think that that leads us quite nicely into our topic today, which is a topic that you really wanted to discuss, actually, which is about dogs being reactive and how we as the humans are often blamed. And there's not just a dog trainer, but a pet owner. I think both of us have the same, well, not the same experience, but a very similar experience and having dogs that are reactive and how that's not only just made us dog trainers, but how that's also shaped how we run our businesses and why we run our businesses. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So one of the first topics that we're going to just jump into right away with us is something that we often see in social media, something that we hear in groups quite a lot, which is that your dog is reactive and it's your fault and that things that you're doing are making your dog reactive. And there is always there's pros and cons with everything in life. So I think it'd be quite interesting for us to just run over a few pros and cons and discuss some of these topics that are raised. I think I think in every kind of suggestion that I've got written down, there is an element of truth in every one of them. But I think that the truth factor is almost different from what you would assume it to be as an owner. So reading those phrases as an owner would have a different sort of understanding as it does for us as dog trainers perhaps it could also just be that we don't take things as personally these days because we deal with it every day 
<laughs> but I do think that how we perceive something in regards to an owner is very different. And it's quite interesting how both of us starting out with reactive dogs and that being why we became dog trainers, we've obviously changed how we view these situations and how we're affected by them in these words. So I think one of the first ones that I always see online is people saying you're molly coddling your dog you're fussing them too much and you're just being too nice to them and that's why your dog's reactive yeah i just to be honest i just think that that's ridiculous (laughs) um i don't think i don't think providing your dog with reassurance to help them cope with a situation that they're maybe stressed about um has got anything to do with making them more reactive Uh, as i always say and as a lot of dog trainers always say you cannot reinforce an emotion so if your dog's feeling like a certain way um then you can't really reinforce that it's not going to make it feel like that anymore if you are giving them a cuddle because they're getting stressed about something or letting them know that everything's fine. Um, I know a couple of my own clients um, have dogs that like jump up to them to get reassurance when they're maybe, when they've maybe come across a dog or a person that they're worried about. Um, And I know that a lot of dog trainers would be like, oh, don't encourage that. Don't, um, don't kind of entertain that whereas I just think look the dog is looking to you for reassurance what what kind of of a support network would we be if if we didn't provide that reassurance that's definitely my opinion like my my little dog Ronnie he's the reactive one so um and he has a mini Jack Russell so he's like literally up to mission (laughs) um so when he is a bit stressed or worried his little paws go onto my knee um and I'm like right it's cool you're all right it's fine and we'll just I'll reassure him for a bit and then I'll say are you good and he'll be like give me a sign that he's good and then he'll 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 head off again so I don't think that that makes his reactivity any worse um at all so I definitely don't agree with that statement I think also there's a bit of a misunderstanding about that behavior as well so for me that's what I would class as height seeking so that's where a dog is seeking height to be higher than the thing that's scaring them. So for some mm. dogs, being on a higher level helps them to not be as fearful. So my youngest dog, Bear, he really does that a lot. He height seeks constantly. It's almost to the point that if I was out walking him, and Bear's a very fearful dog. He's not like Oscar. Bear is a very fearful dog. So if I'm out with Bear and something scares him, I can literally ask him to jump up onto an object and he can cope with almost anything. Whereas if he's Mm. got four feet on the floor, he's more likely to lunge or to snap or to go really, you know, when you hunker down low, it's almost like a play bow, but it's not a play bow and their teeth come out. That's Mm. Bear's general go-to behaviour to things that scare him. So when he started jumping up in me and putting his paws on me, I don't like that. I have quite a lot of like discomfort. So for me, I don't like, claws on me but I very quickly realized mm-hmm. that actually he needs that reassurance so I taught him pause up so that means that he can now put his paws up on my arm so I can then choose where in my body he's contacting so it's not hurting me 
and it allows him to have a place to go so he knows if I'm nervous I can jump up put my paws on you and it'll be okay I also know that if we're at a certain location I can ask him to go up onto an object you know just like even if it's just steps or a tree stump and that from there we can continue actually training and not just managing a situation so look me saying like oh that's just management by asking the dog to jump up onto a tree stump it would just be management if he jumped up and then I just put food down but when I put him onto a tree stump or onto a higher seat, higher area, even if it's just my arm, even just with a cuddle sometimes, he can cope with a lot of triggers going past. It certainly doesn't reinforce the fear. It doesn't make the reactivity any worse. But what it does do is gives us a way to control it and at least control where he's going because he's a really big dog. He's probably about 28 kilo, 30 kilo now. And my other qualities are just so small in comparison. So I do like the fact that he hikes seats because it gives me the ability to send them somewhere safe. Now, out of that list, we also mentioned their fussing. And I think that there's two ways to look at that. So I think fussing your dog, like, oh, you're okay, you're doing well, good puppy, and giving them a wee cuddle. I don't think that's problematic, but what I do think is problematic is when people are continuously nagging their dog. And I think fussing and nagging can be a little bit confused at times. So, for example, if your dogs, you want them to sit or there's, you know, something that's stressing them out and you're like, sit, sit, come on, Fido, sit, do this, do this. The dog's just like, oh, my God, I'm trying to deal with this stressor. I'm trying to keep my own pot from not boiling over it. And then I've got you in my ear with incomprehensible words and noises. Like, it just adds to it and blows. And I think certain dogs do find that chatting really frustrating and it's almost like it adds to the problem. I think that that could add to their arousal levels because there's a lot going on already and then you're repeating things over and over again and I think that can just exacerbate things um, for sure. I know for with my dog Reggie, who's I guess I would call him the friendly one, he is still reactive to trucks and lorries, so like big clanging noises, I guess. It's a very Scottish word, clanging, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So if I know for a fact that if I start like trying to speak to him and trying to get his attention when we've not worked on something and it's just talking at him, um, he he goes from zero to hundred much quicker than what he would do if we just gave him like a pause up, like you said, um, to help him deal with that situation. And I think that's where it really comes down to understanding your dog and putting in the work. So if you've trained your dog in certain behaviours, you can ask for those behaviours. But if you've only half arsed, taught a sit mm. and a pause up or a hand target and you've not fully proofed that behaviour and you've not taught it to a really high standard with distractions, that behaviour is not going to be useful in that situation at all. And I think it does just add to the stress after a while. And I know that some people, especially me, when I first started dog training, I talk a lot and I found it really hard to not talk to the dogs because I felt like I have to talk to them. Like I need to let them know that it's okay, but realistically they don't speak English. And me reassuring them was almost, I guess, really reassuring me. It was going to be okay. And I think once I realised, actually, if I just focus on the dogs and not on just chit-chat, the 
they will be okay and we'll actually get through the situation a heck of a lot quicker. One of the other yeah. ones that we'd kind of listed was that they pick up on your stress. I 100% think that's true. Ooh. I have had clients, yeah, I have had clients that I feel their stress and I'm like, if I can feel it, then the dog can definitely feel it. So, well, stress or anxiety, I guess. So they see a trigger coming that they know their dog's probably going to react to and the energy shifts. And I go, whoa, <laughs> what happened there? Um, and I get them to kind of realise that and go, obviously, they've had a learn, they've created a learned behaviour because they know every time they see a dog, for example, their dog's going to like try and lunge and bark at that dog. So they set themselves up for that situation. Um, and I think the dog can feel it. I do agree with you on that one, to be honest. Um, more so, I think it's quite funny that we've put this in as one thing that we don't think is true. <laughs> and I think it's something that you often see coming from a certain community that you know, don't be silly, the dogs can't pick up on your stress. Like, you being stressed isn't making them worse. But I think, to a degree, it is. And it depends, I guess, mm. on what that stress is. Like, is that stress because you're worried about what your dog's going to do? Is that stress because you don't have a plan? Is that just stress because you're trying to process it? So I know if I'm walking my dogs, I don't really get stressed with them anymore. I used to get very stressed. And um, now I'm just, I know them so well that I'm not generally that concerned by them. Mm. However, when my husband's out and like if he's walking our dogs and if we're together, the minute he sees anyone coming, he's like, fuck, there's people coming, get them on a leash. And he instantly mm. starts recalling our dogs and being really, really rushed about it instead of just being like, okay, there's something coming that may be problematic. Mm. So like say for example, it's a cyclist or like, a Labrador, my dogs have a thing with Labradors. Instead of just dealing with that situation and being like, okay, we need to get the dogs back here, um, he will really stress out. Or if we're even just like in a country walk and he hears someone who be like, Did you hear that? Did you hear those people? And I think it's just like that kind of leftover from having really reactive dogs. And I don't think it ever like goes away. I think there's still a part mm -hmm. of you that kind of has that anxiety. And I think if you're not the person that has done the work with your dog and got them to a better place, it's always going to be quite quite an anxious event, I guess. So with yeah. our dogs, it's me that done like 100% of their training, to be honest. So for me, I can read their bodies. I know what it means. So I'm not concerned. Like there's certain things that my dogs do that does concern me. But in general, I'm just like, oh, it's absolutely fine. You know, Oscar will be okay. I, I'm not concerned by his body language. I just need to control him and control myself. And that will control mm -hmm. the situation. But I notice that when we're out with my husband, the dogs are almost like spidey senses. And the minute that he, like, it's almost like he breathes slightly differently. Or like he has a mm -hmm. sudden stillness that he's seen something that he's concerned about the dogs are instantly looking around like right what is it where is it what's what is it 
And I'm just like, oh my god, <laughs> did you need yeah. to add this layer of stress <laughs> to this conversation? <laughs> um, so I guess because it's me that does most of the training, I have more confidence in the dogs and I have a better understanding of their body language. So it doesn't as such stress me as it does him. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, definitely. Like my husband don't even walk Ronnie because <laughs> because he's like, oh, what if I what if I fuck it up? <laughs> like he just won't walk him. Um, but I have done a lot of work with Ron, uh, and he he's been diagnosed with uh, underlying pain issues and behavioural issues and everything. So I kind of know when he's going to and what he is going to react to. Uh, mm -hmm. And I kind of have the confidence there that I know, okay, you'll be fine with going past this person or this this person and their dog because we've got a certain distance away from them or whatever. Um, and, and my husband obviously doesn't have that confidence and he just gets stressed. So he's like, I, I'm not going to walk him because um, I don't want to do it wrong, basically. <laughs> um, but I definitely feel like with clients, energy change does affect uh, how they react and what they're going to react to. I don't know about you, but I, I have to tell a lot of my clients to relax their arm and take a deep breath and, and breathe out because they hold the, the tension in their body and it, and it makes the dog then tense. I think as well, when they don't have that alternative behavior that like you say they've proofed they've made sure it works in a lot of different environments and made sure it works in a lot with a lot of different distractions then they can get a bit panicky so they start like we were saying about the fussing and the nagging they start saying all of these different things to their dog which then confuses the dog and then it goes like well what do you want me to do um and it probably then makes the reaction worse or more likely because they don't have a clear idea of what they want their dog to do in that moment in time or they've started to panic and don't know what to ask of their dog in that moment of time as like a dog walker as well so I mean, we, you've previously been a dog walker and i still have a dog walking business with my husband so often we will start new dogs and the owners will be like oh they're reactive like they can be really barky as dog walkers we often see a very different side to the dog because we don't have any of those preconcerns that owners have so like we do with our own dogs we don't have them with dog walking dogs because we instantly take these dogs on we're very confident with them they fall into line with a group of dogs and they get their confidence that way and i think that once those stressors aren't there because sometimes like tension on a leash for example is definitely true that is one that i don't think there's any way you can dispute that and say that that's not a factor unless you train tension on the leash which is another matter altogether <laughs> but the minute a lot of dogs feel that tension on the leash because the owner is like oh shit there's a dog coming when it get hold of you tighter so I can reduce that lunge, the minute that that tension happens and the leash gets shorter, which is understandable why the leash has to get shorter, like I get it, but reeling your dog in like they're a fish just adds so much tension to the leash that kind of tells them something's coming that you can't get to and that you've got to be ready for. And I think that's why yeah. you get a lot of that kicking off. Um Whereas if you just talk your dog in into the side behaviour, you can literally ask your dog into the side, 
drop some food on the ground and hold the leash shorter then without having to apply yeah. that tension to the leash. I think that's harder for um, owners with big dogs, but the owners aren't very big. <laughs> I know that's <laughs> yeah. definitely a, that's definitely a, um, an issue that I've got with a couple of my current clients right now that their dogs are like, what, like, between 30 and 50 kilograms and oh my god <laughs> they are like they're like the same do you know what I mean <laughs> like they, mm -hmm. so I think that that having to have that tension there then maybe it is something that you have to train the dog because for them to feel that it has to happen that the owner has to be prepared as well in case they do lunge but then it's just kind of creating a vicious cycle isn't it it's the tension happens you reel your dog in then they realise something's coming, but you know something is coming and you're preparing for that in case your dog does lunge. And let's just put that I'm really lucky that I've got like seven kilogram dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> um, I, I have found that with Oscar in the past, actually. Um, he has been very lungy. He used to like literally launch himself at dogs. So one of the things that we taught Oscar was leash pressure. So we done it as part of loose leash walking. But I do think it's worth while teaching your dog. And I don't think it's given enough credit for what it is. So for me, I will teach a dog that tension on the lead means that you give in to that and you come back to whatever direction that tension is coming from. So when I'm teaching it, I'll make sure that I do teach back pressure. So like, for example, the dog being ahead of me and me applying that tension and what that means, the dog is just to come back in line with me. But the only ever time that you apply that tension to your dog's leash is when something is coming or something that you're concerned about. So like maybe a dog's coming, a jogger's coming. And that's the only time you ever apply that pressure. Then I think it's fairly understandable why dogs are going to react to that. Yeah. Because they've obviously paired that leash pressure with the thing appearing which is completely understandable. It's not ideal, but it's kind of understandable why they're doing it, if that makes sense. So it's something that I found. I now just teach all dogs. So dog walking dogs, when we start them as puppies, we teach leash pressure right away. It's one of the first things that I do with dogs now. Um, when I work with reactive dogs, it is something that I go through eventually, but it depends how sensitive the dog is. And yeah. a lot of the time with leash walking, you know, we're changing the equipment they're using. So a lot of dogs will come in harnesses and I'll put them into a collar to teach leash work. So it's not really teaching it on the equipment that the owner's going to be using, if that makes sense. So I like to, I do like to spend a bit of time adding it in and teaching them. As soon as you feel pressure, something good's happening behind you, so turn around. And I do find that that makes a huge difference. So the minute that my dogs feel pressure, well, not better, but Oscar and Holly feel pressure, they just instantly turn around and they're like, what? What is it? Yeah. And I'm like, food, treats, balls, or something worthwhile. Um, even if it's just to smile at them and tell them that they're good puppies, they're just like, okay, well, that was absolutely pointless. But at least they're <laughs> then hearing that is pointless and not shit. That's something coming that we need yeah. to be prepared for. Yeah. Which actually brings me on to our next one, which is your tone of voice. is interesting because I was speaking to you a while ago and it was about teaching a recall and it was... <laughs> I always would teach like my recall to my clients is like make sure it's fun and happy and and like you want them to come back to you and then you made a point of saying well probably in the moment if they're running towards something that's potentially scary that's going to 
cause them harm or something like that, then you're probably not going to be nice and happy <laughs> and upbeat. And, and uh, I said, oh, yeah, that's actually a point. Maybe we should be teaching a recall with a certain tone of voice, but also keeping the nice, happy tone of voice as well, just teaching two recalls. But um, so, yeah, I think it's um, interesting to talk about tone of voice because my dog, Ronnie, is very sensitive to my tone of voice. And I think there's a lot of emotion, or there was in the past, a lot of emotion behind how I was talking to him when a dog was approaching. He's a dog reactive. So uh, that was obviously the very first time I'd ever had a dog, my own dog, other than a family dog. Probably not my first reactive dog, but my first, like, actually having it as a... A, a label I guess which I don't like to say but I actually had to deal with this reactivity and I know for a fact that my tone of voice was making him more worried <laughs> um, and he definitely picked up on that because I, I was like well, what do I do what do I do when I see a dog I was like right Ronnie da, da, da. I was trying to be really happy but obviously <laughs> did not come across like that to Ron he was like what what are we doing? I'll fight them. I'll fight them. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there's no way to hide your tone of voice. That's the thing. Like, if I'm talking to my husband and I'm telling him a story about something that's maybe annoyed me and I, I'm being quite, like, assertive in my tone, Holly will literally get up and look at me, like, with disgust and storm out the room. She's <laughs> like, uh-uh, I do not like that tone of voice, woman. And she's off. And sometimes she'll just lift her head up and stare at me like, are you fucking going to keep that tone? And I have Who are you to talking actually... to? Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, not you anyway. Um, and I have to actively modulate my voice um, because she can even tell, even when I try and keep it like cheery and I'm still like really angry, or, like really pissed off. She's like, I can feel that. I can feel that. But going yeah. back to your initial point about recall is yes, that's one of the ones that, I think I realised in puppy class. I think it was actually a client who brought it up bizarrely. They were like, yeah, but what's the point? Because this isn't how I sound when I see a horse coming. And I'm like, well, that's actually very, very true. Good enough. Yeah. So one of the ones that I taught my dogs, I don't teach them come. I think it's just a bit, if you're Glaswegian, it's just not a nice word to use for your dog's recall. It's a bit creepy. I'm not going to go into any more detail, but <laughs> yeah, I just don't use it. Um, so I use now. And I think when I say that word and actually enunciate it, I sound quite pissed off. So I'm like, now. And my dogs are like, oh, that's a word. That means something. And there's yeah. no way for me to say that in a happy way. I don't know why. I think it's just the way I speak. So I will often be like, that's one of my recall words is now. And when I'm like, right, guys, now, they know they have to come back to me right this second. But they don't yeah. associate that with anything in the environment because that's just how I speak. And I think I do get annoyed quite a lot. And I'm not very good at hiding my tone of voice when I get annoyed. So I think it's possibly a good thing that my dogs are quite used to my tone of voice just being a bit off sometimes. I have like, I have another recall though. And I particularly picked this one because I knew that I couldn't be mad when I said it. So this was when I was trying to work out like what recalls to use. So I were like, super recall for example if like there's a horse coming oscar hates horses and that's fair enough he got trampled when he was younger it's awful it's fair enough 
So I taught them their magic recall is pineapples. <laughs> and it's from a Kevin, it's from a Kevin Hart sketch. That's all I'm going to say. Um, it's a safe word, basically. And I watched it and I just thought it was hilarious. And I started to use it as my recall cue for my dogs and I taught them it. And every time I see it, it's like an inside joke with myself because I instantly think back to that sketch, which isn't even that funny. It's actually kind of offensive. But it just makes me crack up because I'm like, this is my secret joke. And like, every time I say it to my husband, he's just like, ah, oh, it's hilarious. And it was really good for him because like, he can't be angry or stressed when he says it because the minute he starts to form the word, he's like, oh my fucking God, I'm shouting pineapples in public. And I'm actually People allergic like, to... What? <laughs> People are looking like, at What are like, you well, saying? Weird. Weird. Exactly. And I'm actually allergic to pineapples and pineapple juice anyway. It makes me really, really sick. So it's not something that we ever really have in our house. And it's just, I think it's a combination of the sketch and the fact that it makes me really sick. It just cracks us up. <laughs> so we have the two recalls. So we have like now, we have pineapples. And then we just have general ones. So like probably like you, like I use a lot of behaviours as recalls as well. So I use like hand targets, peekaboos. And I think that when you're regularly recalling for behaviours, it just kind of reinforces that being close to you. So when you then do actually recall, your dogs aren't surprised by it. They're just like, oh, it's just another reason to come close and get a reward, which is absolutely fine. Um, but I definitely think that tone of voice, as you say, is huge with dogs and the dogs that we train. And I do think it makes sense with owners to just teach it the tone you're going to use it. Like if you're always going to be pissed off when you're using it, you're always going to be stressed. Teach it that way. If you're teaching a recall, don't be teaching like here, here, because you're never going to sound like that outside in the forest, are you? You're going to be like here now. Yeah. You're living because your dog's fucked off because it shouldn't be off in the first place. So, <laughs> you know, just teach it how you're going to use it. And I think especially if you have a reactive dog that you let off leash, you really need to teach the cues as you as you plan to use them, so that yeah. you're not adding in a different factor because. You know, all the things that we train are, you know, there's, it's kind of like, what's the word? And like, there's so many different ways to proof behaviours. And I think that tone of voice should really be one of them. So often if I'm proofing, I will change how I'm saying it. I'll whisper it, I'll shout it, I'll mumble it. Um, and I just think that a lot, a lot of the times the dogs take those triggers from our actual physical movements in our body they do really understand that tone so I think when you're teaching anything and especially if you have a dog and you know I'm going to be using this to save my ass sometimes you're going to have to train it in the way that you plan to use it yeah I completely agree because it definitely wasn't something that I had thought about before um before chatting to you about it and um it is something that I've naturally probably done like with Ronnie and I um Ronnie's very rarely on a lead because his potential pain is either neck or spinal pain. Um, so I just don't, I just avoid trying, like, putting a lead on him most of the time. Uh, so we go quiet places and obviously in those quiet places there might be a trigger at some point. And I've actually just started training him, well, in the past I, I trained him to lie down so that I could go to him and pop his lead on because... If the trigger's too close, if the dog's too close, um, he finds it difficult to recall. So I've just went, right, okay, I'll just do it down because it's easy. <laughs> then yeah. I don't really put that much effort into it. <laughs> um, 
I just and I know for a fact the way I've trained that down it's like down and that's mm-hmm. how it is and it's not like upbeat and happy and all cheery um but he listens and then I just go up to him I pop his lead on and then we can get out of the way um so yeah I definitely think tone of voice is a big a big factor in training your reactive dog training any dog to be honest but (laughs) it's definitely something that you need to think about and need to think about how you're training for these situations when you do come up to triggers yeah I totally agree with you on that one I think it's just it's just so hard because there is so much conflicting advice out there and I know that some of it is really well-meaning you know like you're not the cause of your dog's reactivity you know but at the end of the day everything in the environment is a cue and at some point in time you are going to subconsciously cue that there's an approaching dog an approaching trigger whatever it is that sets your dogs off you are going to cue that somehow no matter what it's just like if I hear a firework go off I can't help but jump because I, I don't like fireworks um it's probably no surprise my dogs don't like them either because I <laughs> hate them like I'm just terrified of them um <laughs> probably me that actually needs to go on holiday not my dogs <laughs> I, can't, I can't hide it though it's a real phobia and it's I've got over phobias of needles I've got over phobias of driving I've got over some phobias of water but fireworks for me is just a no-go so we just go on holiday every year but subconsciously like during fireworks season and obviously where we're from you literally get fireworks from like mid-October realistically that's when it all starts and I can't help but kind of freeze a bit when I hear them outside on walks I can't help but jump and even like if I see like if I see those horses out so if I see like hoof prints in the dark or if I hear like one of the riders I instantly have like a sharp intake of breath because I know that that's a problem for Oscar Mm -hmm. And it's not a behaviour that I feel like I could solve through positive reinforcement nor through punishment because it was such a traumatic event for him and me when it happened and he got trampled. Um, I'll actually tell you how he got trampled that that might help you understand. So I was out with a friend years and years ago and we'd seen the horses approach and it was a group of horses with riders on them. So it was like the kids were all out horse riding. We got on quite well with the horse riders and we walk up there all the time as dog walkers. So we were going to a different walk altogether, but we had to walk through the woods. So on sight of the horses, I took Oscar and Holly off the path and my friend had her two greyhounds and she also went off the path. Now her greyhound was super reactive due to pain. Um, there was Training was basically impossible with him, but he was generally a really good fun dog and our dogs loved each other. So she was further down the hill with her dogs and I was further up the hill. And for some absurd reason, the head rider, and I can only assume it's because she knew us as local dog walkers, felt safe enough to stop and educate the children on dogs around horses. So I had my dogs both sitting, both on leash, taking treats, not bothered at all. And I was like, you know what, this is fine, this isn't problematic. Then the next minute a horse kind of reared up a bit and the woman shouted, Oscar, enough! And what was my dog's recall at that time? Oscar, just his name. So my dog's like, oh, hi! And he bolted. I dropped the leash. I didn't even make the connection that he would have recalled. But he bolted through the horses. And one of the horses was already unsettled. And there's my border collie running through underneath them. The kids are screaming. The woman's screaming. And what she's shouting, Oscar. 
because she'd obviously clocked that that's the dog's name. So my poor dog's trying to work out, how the fuck did I get away from the horses? Why are you shouting on me? And why the fuck have I actually moved? So I had to then, like, leave my other dog, thank God, in a sit and go and retrieve Oscar from underneath a horse. And there was no anger. I was a bit mortified that it had happened. Since then, that's how we now have specific recall cues. Name only yeah. means check-in. It does not mean come here. And I never recall them by name ever now. I ask for no. the name. They look at me. That's it. And that's yeah. why. Because it was just so traumatic. I got him back. And the next time we were out and we seen horses, he took almost a seizure. So he went completely limp just out of focus couldn't break him he was just fucking terrified even if we were like at the water so there's another section of the walk that we could go to that was really off the path which was full of water it's like a nice little river and i remember being in the river with him one time and the horses came down the main path which was quite a distance away from us um and as the horse came down the path and oscar recognized that that was a horse coming he just completely froze he went like it was almost like, he, I wouldn't say he stared at it, but he didn't because he, he wasn't looking. And I think that the vet called it a tonic immobility seizure. I can't remember now. But basically, he started to take these little jitters in his brain, as the vet called it, where he just couldn't cope. He was that terrified. Since then, you know, we were so lucky that we got on with the horse riders and they knew that Oscar's fine. Like, because they met him so many times before and never had an issue. So we would go up with like our dog walking towels and we would rub it on the horses. We would pick up like dirt that they'd stood on and we tried to like recondition him. But even that was enough to just trigger him again. Never bothered with punishment because he's terrified. So you, know, you don't use punishment when they're scared. And I was just like, I just need to deal with this. So now what we do when we see horses is we take them right off the path. We do a food scatter or we do training. Like we do behaviours but it is a real phobia like it's he's terrified and that's just it really there's nothing that we could do there's no medication and there's no training in my opinion that would solve it I'm always happy to hear if other people have suggestions like that's fine but we've yeah. spoken to so many fantastic dog trainers of all method mythologies and we've all just kind of came to the conclusion that that was such a traumatic event all round it's fair that he's scared. Holly doesn't really give a shit. She's just like, oh, it's horses. She's not bothered. <laughs> but Oscar is just traumatised. And to be honest, in those circumstances, sometimes I will just pick him up because I know that he's just acting on raw instinct and emotion now. He's not capable of thinking through that. And we, yeah. we walk near them all the time. So he's constantly around like a vague scent of them. A lot of the walks that we go to also have stables at them. So he's always kind of around them. But I'm just, for me, it's a win that he no longer runs at them. He doesn't go anywhere near them. If anything, it's the opposite way. So at least I know that he's not a risk to the horses. He's not a risk to the public. He's just really a risk to himself now, which I guess is the safest mm -hmm. option here for me. Um, but, you know, if I do see horses in the distance. I do automatically kind of take a quick breath. And I can't help it because I'm like readying myself to deal with his anxiety but even if i didn't do that it's going to happen regardless <laughs> like the yeah. horses are going to come and he's obviously going to smell them <laughs> and he's going to know 
Mm-hmm. So in that circumstance, I've just accepted that that's a loss. I don't really take them to new walks where there's horses or stables. I never stay at Airbnbs where there's horses and stables. He's fine with cows and things like that, but horses are like the fucking devil in our house. <laughs> <laughs> that's understandable, I think, from what he's been through. I think I think so too. And I guess that again brings us on to the next topic. That's like my line for today. This brings us on to the next topic. <laughs> Sound very smooth. Um, and one of the things that I think we get leveled at all the time, owners of reactive dogs, is your dog's not trained. That one, you hear it all the fucking time. So the same like with people that put muzzles on their dogs. If you trained your dog, you wouldn't need to put the muzzle on it. Like, do you know how much oh, yeah. training goes into wearing a muzzle? Like, so much fucking training goes into wearing yeah. a muzzle. Just like if you're training with like a prong collar or an e-collar, so much training goes into that already before you're even using the tool. So it just totally fries me when people say to people with reactive dogs, if only you trained them, you wouldn't have this issue. And you're like, what the fuck do you think I'm doing? (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God, yes. I think for me and the general public, like, I would consider both of my dogs reactive <coughs> um, in very different ways. So Reggie's obviously reactive to noises. He's also reactive to kids on like bikes and scooters um, because we've got kids that like whiz up and down our street and he absolutely hates them. <laughs> so he kind of carries that hatred wherever <laughs> he goes. <laughs> um, and then Ronnie's really dog reactive <laughs> Um, I think for me in the public, because my dogs are so small, right, there's situations where they will, maybe we've not had enough distance or the path's not big enough and we've maybe missed some things because guess what, dog trainers make mistakes too. There's something that's happened that has caused one of the dogs, and usually when one of the dogs goes off, they both go off um, and there causes a reaction. I just get like looks up at me um, from the public that are that they, they smile and they laugh. And I'm like, are, are you kidding? Like they are obviously stressed. Um, what if I had a big German Shepherd at the end of this lead or two big German Shepherds at the end of these leads? Uh, would you be <laughs> laughing then? <laughs> I don't think so. So... I definitely think that um, I definitely think that the whole training thing is is such an it's a horrible statement to make, especially to people who have reactive dogs. Because in my experience, the people that have reactive dogs put one hundred and ten percent more work in. To the people that are have the friendly dogs um, or the dogs that aren't fussed by anything, um, and I think it it definitely it hurts them in a way for someone to say that because of how much work they've done, and also because of the dog behind the reactiveness. So a lot of the times, people get like my clients will get upset because they're like, but people don't see how loving this dog is. Like, they don't see the cuddles, the kisses, 
how amazing they are in the house. Um, and then for someone to just turn around and make a snap judgment call like that and saying that their dog's not trained is hurtful for, for a, a lot of people, I think. I think as you go through it, you kind of start to think, well, do you know what? Fuck you. Like, I don't care what you think. Um, I'm doing the best for my dog and I don't need to take on your opinion at all. But it definitely something that I know from uh, my class of reactive rock stars. Like, I know that that class is really for the, the humans that are at the other end of the lead because they need a lot of support. Um, and they've kind of tried every avenue and they're like, right, okay, we've got to a point where we're able to be around our triggers um, and they come to a class environment and then they go, but I'm still struggling with the the, the human side of it and, um, and people's opinions and uh, people's comments that like their dog should be put down because it's dangerous, um, where, I, where it's actually probably just a really fearful dog that's so stressed that they've let their their off lead lab i'll say <laughs> um no offense <laughs> to lab labrador. owners but <laughs> um they've let that dog come over and and has caused a really fearful um reaction to that other dog and it's just not fair i think it's not fair for people to make that um to make that judgment when they they've got no idea what's going on and what's been happening behind the scenes i think it, it 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 goes back to that like if you can't say anything nice then just don't say anything at all um why do you have to comment on my dog it's got nothing to do with you <laughs> one, of, one of the things that i do find quite comical though is if you have a reactive dog and you've stepped off the path and your dog's like in a really nice set you know you're focused on your dog and then this dog runs up jumps all over your dog, your dog loses her shit, you lose your shit. Mm -hmm. What does the owner of yep. the dog that jumped on your dog say? Your dog's aggressive. You need to train that dog. And it's kind of like, well, if your dog was under control and also trained to read my dog's yep. body language, you would know not to come fucking near me. Just like yeah. people, like, you don't like every person that you meet. I know I don't. Like, I see some people and I'm just like, God, keep away from them. But they always come and find <laughs> you. always the people in the bar that won't fuck off. And I think it's the same as no one approaches me. No one approaches me. <laughs> no, no Sadly. one approaches this face. I've got like absolute <laughs> perfected resting bitch face. So, yeah. <laughs> I think I think with my dogs, I'm pretty good at kind of being quite unsettling and keeping people away. But I think a huge part of that is because my dogs also look kind of unsettling. Like Bear looks manic <laughs> sometimes, as does Oscar with the odd eyes. Um. And I think I just kind of, my raging face just goes along with it. <laughs> but some dogs just don't, they just don't read that. And it's always those owners that have the worst behaved dogs that tell you your dog's worse behaved and that your dog is the one that needs to be trained. When realistically, if they just had a little bit of common courtesy that you both have to share an environment, you're both sharing that walk, they just keep their dog away. Like, it's just like mm -hmm. if you go to the gym, it doesn't mean you want to talk to every single person you meet. Like, the last thing I want to do in the gym is talk to anyone. I want to go and work on myself. And it's just the same as your dog in some walks. They don't want to meet everyone. Like, yes, they should still be able to cope with that, though, like coping with other dogs in that environment. But we yeah. know that. And reactive dog owners know that more than anybody else. That, you know, 
their dog needs to be okay. And I think it's just so frustrating when they're bombarded with, you need to train that dog. And that's literally nine times out of ten what the fuck they were trying to do before that dog jumped on them and got involved in their situation. So, yeah, I do find that one of the most frustrating ones. I guess, though, a little bit of me, I think from teaching puppy classes and teaching focus classes and reactive dog classes, you do see a huge difference in the people you're working with. So I was finding puppy classes, it is a lot more relaxed because it should be because they're puppies. And I think that there's less interest put on like teaching good settle work, teaching solid behaviours, because people just don't understand why they would ever need them. Whereas when it comes to like a reactive dogs class, sometimes it is those owners from those puppy classes that land up in your reactive dog class because they just haven't understood why those behaviours were necessary. And I think as a dog trainer, I always kind of blame myself a bit for that because I'm like, I should have put more pressure on it and puppy, I should have been more focused. But realistically, it doesn't matter because they're so young at that point in time, they still get their teenage years, they still get adolescence. That no matter how much you were to put the pressure on and the heat on to really train that dog, it doesn't mean that the dog would never have become reactive. And there's things that happen to dogs that can make them reactive no matter how much you put that work in. I work with a beautiful Labrador. I know beautiful Labrador. <laughs> We're now on a different side now. And he is just, <laughs> he's such a good boy. My dogs love him. Absolutely love him. And I'm just like, are you like a collie and a Labrador coat? <laughs> and when I met this dog, he was in a quite a hot spot of bother, to be honest. And... I worked with him for five sessions and never once seen him be reactive once, ever. He was only reactive when dogs jump scared him, basically. And it wasn't just like, a, oh, get away from me. It was like, I'm going to take you out for doing that to me. So th- to train mm. that was very difficult to train around that because the dog inherently wasn't reactive. But at the ages of like six, seven months, he had got into an altercation with another dog that just wouldn't leave him alone. It was like play that turned bad very quickly between two entire male dogs. And they were just both young. Um, And that escalated so quickly that this dog, even to this day, in general, he's fine. You can stooge with him. You can put all the pressure on that you want. And it still won't flick the switch because he knows he's safe. And he Mm. knows your dog isn't going to hurt him. But the minute that, that, that a dog does jump scare him and he's like you're a risk there's it's a very intense response and that owner is a fantastic owner she's done everything right she's done puppy classes she's done junior classes she's done socialization work she's not overly socialized her dog either like he's a really nice well-focused well-rounded dog and that one experience has just ruined his life and it really has there's no going back from that now there's no way that we can undo that work. We've just got to try and build on top of that and really a nice foundation and trust. But it's very hard when that dog's reactivity has came at a cost of their personality, I guess. And that mm. there's nothing that you can do to save that situation or that dog. Like as much as you want to, realistically, it's very hard to train around because the dog themselves is golden. They're fantastic. They're really solid. But that one little trigger can just tip it. And I think that's very frustrating for owners who have literally done everything right. 
And I guess that's probably yeah. the category that you fall into to a degree because you got your dogs. Yeah. You were so focused on doing everything right by them. You bought all the books, you done all the studying, you read them so well and they still ended up reactive. And I guess yeah. it must fall back to a way. I guess how you've mentioned it, the community see your dogs like, oh, it's funny because they're small. Like, oh, they're not going to hurt me. Whereas if that was two Alsatians or Dobermans, yeah. You'd be the devil. You'd be on all the Facebook pages and they'd be slating <laughs> you for being yeah. having dogs that were out of control. But because they're just Jack Russells, it doesn't matter, which is insane. Absolutely nuts, isn't it? It just adds fuel to the fire when the, your dog's stressed and some twat's going, <laughs> is it scared? And you're like, you're going to be scared in a minute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, it's just, it really does. It really does frustrate me. Um, but I'm glad you brought up the whole getting, like doing everything right from, from their puppies. So um, I've had the boys since they were puppies, right? Okay. I did that thing. I got two puppies at the same time. So maybe I didn't do everything right. <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean I like me and my husband did all of the right socialization we didn't um we didn't go up to meet every dog like we didn't let them just run riot around other dogs but it was very clear from very early on that Ronnie was uncomfortable around dogs um, like him and Reggie were fine at the start. Uh, him and Reggie were fine, um, but any other dog that we maybe met on lead, um, like or on their walks or whatever, he was just like, "Nah, I don't really want to speak to you." Um, and I think that's it's difficult to take because. A lot of people, I know especially um, Lindsay's got a chihuahua called Lucy and she's very people reactive. And I think even you, Lana, you asked her like, oh, when did you rescue her? Because like she was quite a little nervy little chihuahua. And, and Lindsay's like, oh, no, actually, she's she's been with me since she, she was a puppy. And you were like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, but it is bad. so... Like, <laughs> But it's difficult when you've got puppy from like eight, nine, ten, twelve weeks old or whenever you got your puppy and you do all the right socialization, you make sure you, like you say, you read all the books, you don't over socialize them, you don't overexpose them to anything that, um, that you shouldn't, you just help them and guide them through um, their puppyhood and then you still end up down the line with a reactive dog. I think a lot of a lot can change through adolescence and I think it's something that is so clear um, when it comes to classes. Like you can have a puppy class and like you say, they, they come and it's very fun and we just make sure that it's as fun as possible. And then you get to like, they're like now seven or eight months old, maybe into a year old, and then you get dogs coming back for like your next set of classes and and they're absolutely wild. <laughs> like you're like, okay, what happened to that puppy? Because they're crazy now. <laughs> um and I think a lot, a lot can change in adolescence and 
and it can be very difficult for owners who have had like a perfect puppy um in their eyes and and then for that to then just like completely flip when they when they reach adolescence and and then beyond um for them to potentially become reactive through through whether that's fear whether that's frustration whatever um and i think it can be something that's difficult to it can be difficult to take especially like with myself i i was like right i need to make sure i'm very um I need to make sure I'm quite a perfectionist. I need to make sure everything's done right. Um, and if it's not done right, and if it's not if it's not done the way I want it, then it's no good. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I made sure that I did all of the right things, um, but there was nothing that I could have done to, to like help Ronnie feel more secure, well, knowledge-wise at the time than I already did. Like I didn't force him to meet dogs. I didn't go, it's okay, there you go, you can like I didn't push him into any of these situations. It's it's just uh, you could tell straight like from a very young age that he was just uncomfortable. Um I do think that some of the puppy classes we went to maybe weren't ideal for him. Uh but I mean you live and learn and I don't think we should be putting any pressure on ourselves as owners to be like, oh, it's it's all my fault. It's all my fault that this has happened. Uh, and I think that's a massive thing to re reiterate to the clients as well, because it, it it's nine times out of 10, it's there's nothing that you could have done. And like I said earlier, Ronnie's now been diagnosed with pain issues and behavioral issues. So really they probably always was going to be the way he is and that's i've kind of accepted that now and it's definitely improved so we're we're, we're working on yeah. it still though but it's, it's definitely improved and i guess on that there's so many ways that a dog can become reactive so it can be through one-time learning like my little labrador that we talked about it can be through past experience like cumulative experiences um, like Bear, for example, and more so say Bear was cumulative experience um, with his kind of more so fear-based behaviour. You know, it's, sometimes it's just where the puppies are born and their upbringing and the, you know, the situation that they're raised in can lead to those problems. But then we also have the flip side where some dogs are just genetically predisposed to be reactive. Well, that's us reached the end of the episode already. Dog training is forever evolving and we strive to keep an open mind and the dogs at the centre of everything that we do. You can find us across social media platforms using our tag at House of Herders and we would love for you to join in that conversation with us. Until next time, bye!